podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombs Show on ESPN. Good to have you with us. On today's show, we're going to be getting into the reaction that we're seeing all across America, all across the world, and in particular, all across the NFL, to the shocking and tragic death of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement gaining momentum. We've seen in the last couple of weeks, players, coaches, teams, the league itself in lockstep, in unison, outpourings of outrage, of empathy, of solidarity, calling for action, calling for change. So what change needs to happen within the NFL and how can the NFL help drive change in our wider society? Mike Carlson leads us off with his considered, his always thoughtful perspective on it all. And then we'll hear from Marlon Favor over in New Orleans. These days, an NFL broadcaster, formerly of LSU and veteran, of course, of a number of NFL teams. Marlon shares some of his experiences as a player, some really powerful stuff in that, and looks at what differences can be made as more and more find their voice. So two great guests. Let's get straight to them. Hey, bud, how are you? Oh, I'm looking good right now. Uh, just another, just another day in lockdownville. Have you got the hair product in? Um, I wear a hat basically. That's, <laughs> that's my solution to the lockdown no haircuts policy. What uh, hat are you wearing at the moment? What is it? Is it a baseball? Um, the, I'm, I know I've got the republic the Republic Studios cap mm. on because I just wrote a piece about watching the. 1942 Republic serial, The Perils of Nyoka, also known as Nyoka and the Tiger Men, um, watching one episode a day. They're 15 minutes, basically. The stuff the kids went to see in the 40s um, so, on Saturday afternoons. You have a cap for every show you're watching at any given time, I'd say. <laughs> I can switch them around at random. Get the scooby um, cap out for next week. Yeah, I had an interesting Zoom last night with my university president mm. discussing the ways they were coping with... Um, with the uh, coronavirus and all. Um, and so for that one, I wore um, just my simple uh, Wesleyan, uh, Wesleyan 1972 cap. Was Belichick on the call? Uh, no, he wasn't. Um, <laughs> okay. But if he'd wanted to be, I'm sure he would have. It started <laughs> out as a class thing. Um, mm-hmm. We had this sort of informal class Zoom um, about a month ago, and it was so successful that the university president then asked if he could take part in the next one, which then, of course, became an entire it was like being in a class with, with him giving a lecture on what they were doing. <laughs> yeah. and, and, be, and because on. Right, because on Zoom you can um, you can have a conversation on the you know on the side and keep it private. It was just yes. like you know sitting in the back of the class and having <laughs> passing notes. Chat with, yeah, I felt like I was nineteen years old. Again. Oh, but I tell you, what, I don't think you've aged much really since nineteen. Mm-hmm. And certainly, you were definitely the rabble rouser at the back of the crowd. I guarantee. Well, you that. know, it, and it provides a good intro to um, to what we're going to talk about because during our years, obviously, um, there was a lot of a lot of unrest, a lot of demonstration. Uh, and at one point, uh, our our campus was, you know, to some extent divided on on protest and mm. um, civil rights in, in particular. And the New York Times ran a very famous article called Two Nations at Wesleyan, where they, they sent a reporter up and he noticed that in the in the dining hall, you know, mo- most of the tables had, you know, all black students at one table, all white students at another table and, and decided that none of us talked to each other, mm. um, which was sort of jumping to conclusions, but, but there was unrest, you know, and, and it was something. And, and, you know, my basic point on this whole thing is that I've been living with this for 50 plus years. Right. Um, right. And, and we shouldn't have to be still demonstrating about it. You write about that a lot in your, in your latest column, Mike on Arc Digital. Um, and it, you mentioned a few times to me in the, in the last couple of weeks when we've been talking about this, both, both on air and off in different places, something that was a saying that was around during the civil rights movement in the sixties in America. If you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And, and that seems to be very much the, the message that many NFL players, most NFL players seem to be driving right now. Yeah, I I think that's very true. Um, and, and that probably starts with the, with the NFL's own reaction, um, to what happened. Uh, and, their first statement, which was which was on the Saturday uh, following, so that would have been the end of May, um, was very noncommittal. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it didn't say anything that was that was wrong or offensive, but it didn't really say anything positive. And then last Friday, um, the NFL issued a second statement, which which was a lot more positive, uh, but again, didn't really suggest suggest any any um, direct moves, except that they would allow um, a kneeling protest in mm-hmm. the up in the upcoming season, um, and, and what that means sort of remains to be seen. But I think almost almost overwhelmingly the call from players has been to uh, or been for people to demonstrate solidarity to to mm. listen to understand um and i don't think there was any better um illustration of that than than drew Brees, right um you know who well-meaningly um you know w- was in support of the players and announced it but but said that he would never he could not abide with um disrespect for the american flag and and that was, as you know, any number of his teammates and other players pointed out, not what the point of the protest was. And and, sure. and if he couldn't see that, he wasn't getting the point. Um, and I and I think that's a kind of crucial distinction that that the country as a whole often gets um, sucked into taking because they make it the, the authority makes it about the flag instead of being about what the protest is about instead of being about discrimination, about abuse, um, about inequality. And the flag is a symbol, I think, of what the country is supposed to be, not what the country is. So by kneeling during, during the anthem, you're, you're suggesting very um, respectfully, I would suggest that, there are things that need to be adjusted, mm. um, not fixed, because this isn't like some problem that's popped up. This is something that's built into the structure of the country, sure. and, we, and which we've been which we've been grappling with one way or another for centuries. You know, a war in in the nineteenth century, a hundred years of Jim Crow, uh, civil rights legislation, one of which major pieces was just overturned by the Supreme Court a couple of years ago and, and, and now is, you know, voter um, voter disenfranchisement is, is now a major issue once again, only, only three years later. Um, so I think, you know, I think it's been on, it's an ongoing attempt to really rebuild our vision of the country. Some really interesting points, Mike, and you mentioned Breeze's statements and the, and the reaction from, from a number of players and, Malcolm Jenkins, he's been very erudite, uh, and I recommend, you know, seek him out, uh, seek it, seek out his, his videos on Instagram and, and elsewhere, I guess, on, on social media. Uh, and he tackled Breeze head on here. And one of the things that really stood out for me there was, it, irrespective of your point about the misunderstanding of the, of the protest and, and the, and the, the, the target of the protest or the subject of the, of the protest, which is hugely significant, of course. But even if you align with Breeze's comments on, uh, the military, Malcolm Jenkins said, well, we have two very different, uh, understandings of the military. Look at black soldiers who went and fought for the country and, and came back not to a hero's welcome, uh, came back to racism, came back to violence. So my understanding of my grandfather's generation, as Brees echoed uh, or referred to, Jenkins says, my remembrance of, of their experience and therefore that connection is very different to yours. And it, it's that understanding and respect of di- a different interpretation of, of the same thing that, that is, is something that gets is getting mentioned a lot. I um I want to ask Mike more yeah, about I, I like I mean I think Malcolm Jenkins sort of said things in a way that they need to be said um, because also all too often we jump off when somebody when somebody responds on Twitter especially on Twitter um, mm. you know and and then just simply block or, or blank that person out and and um, I, I think the point of it is to um, you know FAO FAO Bada had a wonderful thread of tweets yeah, um, a few days ago. And, and the, the last one or the next to the last one said, keep challenging your biases and stereotypes. Right. You know, and I, and I think that's, that's kind of what, what the aim is. You know, it's, it's like we should in the football world, especially all have enough in common to be able to reason together, you know, and, and to come to a conclusion that's constructive for everybody. Well, that seems to be, 
a logical solution to be to be reaching when we look at the look at the solution and looking at the NFL how it can be part of it and I guess you want to we need to separate it to possibly three categories I guess the NFL as an organization and how it can facilitate change the the approach that team owners and teams collectively coaches front office adopt and then the impact that individual players coming out some of which we've spoken about of course but the the, the impact that collectively that can have and something we spoke about on um a radio show we did uh the last week of the week before we talked about the impact of white players standing side by side with their with their black colleagues which wasn't happening before you know talking about players who are at the top of their game elite players speaking out that wasn't to the most part happening before so the impact that players can have and and the platform that they have and, and therefore the people that they can reach with their message is significant. What about the, the league as, a, a, as an organization? So you mentioned Commissioner Goodell's second statement, which critics will say was, um, it came about because of the, the pressure that, that aforementioned superstars and, and particularly the, the video that, that went out for, for Black Lives Matter, which had Mahomes and, and many others, Saquon and many others speaking you know, very, very directly and unequivocally within and the NFL released a response after that. But nevertheless, there has been some action now. And this was your point with the criticism of the NFL beforehand and Commissioner Goodell. And you cite the Eric Kendricks tweet amongst others in your, in your piece where Kendricks said, vague answers do nothing. Let the players know what you're actually doing. And so step forward, I guess, is the NFL, as you say, allowing, uh, or at least, um, not penalizing players for, for protesting peacefully during the anthem, taking a knee during the anthem. What else can the NFL do? Well, I think, I think my first reaction, um, to the, to the first statement and then even more to the second, because, uh, Roger Goodell did say, you know, we have to do, we have to be act proactive. He didn't say proactive, but we have to be, you know, to do something. Mm. The first thing I would love, you know, to see is to go out and stand with the people. Um, stand with the people who are protesting. I, I, we had a nine minute silence, um, uh, last Sunday in, in the little town where I live. Probably about 200, 250 people showed up and it, it's, mm. it has a huge impact. It's very powerful when, when everybody is just standing there. And when you think of the reaction to peaceful protest, you know, if Roger Goodell or an NFL owner were, and star players and co- were, were standing, you know, like Mitt Romney even. Yeah, um, right. And I'm no Mitt Romney fan. <laughs> but, you know, not. when Mitt Romney walks and simply tells a reporter, I'm here because Black Lives Matter, it makes mm-hmm. it makes a huge impact on people who might not otherwise consider the point. And I think that's that's the the public show of support um, is hugely is hugely important. And then, you know, we we look at the league. And the Rooney rule, which is, you know, I still believe is a positive thing, even though, you know, it's not having the um, desired effect, you know, last year or this. Um, but it is it is a step in the, in the right direction. I think the NFL needs to kind of look at um, working it up from the bottom a bit. Uh, it's It's a little bit easy to say that, you give players training and how to be, how to coach, um, you know, how, how to be a leader um, in, in effect when in reality, most of the to- coaches don't come from the NFL playing background, um, mm. a majority of them, uh, partly because players make enough money playing to not have to coach. A lot of them do. And uh, partly because you need that time to study the game. Um, you know, if you've been playing for six or seven years in the NFL and someone else has been working their way up from the bottom of the ladder, they're ahead of you when it, when it comes to coaching. Um, so that's, that's the kind of thing the NFL should work on. And I think minorities in, in front offices need to be addressed, um, which is easier to do than, than, than uh, the coaching, the coaching ranks. Um, and of course, there's only one minority owner in the NFL out of 31 teams. Um, so that, that can also be something that, um, you know, um, the NFL considers, uh, not necessarily you sell the team, um, but that you, you, you somehow, you know, manage to include, um, to include, uh, people of color, um, minorities in the ownership structure. Mm. 
Mike, we've spoken a lot over the years about this predilection in the NFL for avoiding distraction, right? And this is, you know, teams are, are built on this, that a lack of distraction or how certain behavior distracts from the task in hand, which is to win and ultimately obviously to win the Super Bowl. And that argument was used, um, well, to oppose the option to protest initially or to continue to protest. It was too much of a distraction. It was dividing locker rooms. We heard this a lot. It, Kaepernick, of course, as well, and, and his, uh, his absence from the NFL. Well, if a team hires Kaepernick, there's going to be a media frenzy and that's distraction. Teams don't want that. Coaches don't want that. And uh, is that something that fundamentally needs to change that there shouldn't oh, be abs- this? Yeah, absolutely. We've, we've talked about that. Uh, before and and I remember last week we talked about it as well um, because getting Colin Kaepernick a job I say in the article you know if you create a roster exemption create a double secret roster exemption if you have mm. to um, and and let some team just sign him just for the you know for the for the image of it distractions distractions are funny things because they're almost it's almost as if they're as big as you let them become. Um, and it's a, it's a test of leadership, how big right. a distraction. Now, the distraction of Colin Kaepernick or the distraction of protest in the locker room is not going to be you, – you could not argue that it's going to be as div- divisive as it would have been two years ago or three right. years ago or four years ago, even – you know, if you believed it would have been divisive within the locker room, which I which I never really did, um, but certainly it would be very hard to argue that now. Media attention go away. I mean, I know the NFL is very sensitive about losing, you know, losing viewers, and you get very high profile attention paid to the people who tweet that I'm never going to go see another NFL game or watch mm. another NFL game uh, because of this. But the reality was that I don't think it had. Four years ago, I don't think it had any real effect on NFL attendance, NFL viewership, or NFL popularity. If anything, mm-hmm. I think Colin Kaepernick's stance made the NFL somewhat more popular among mm-hmm. young people. Um, what now for Cap, do you think, in terms of well, to the point you made? I mean, if it, it's one thing, a team opening up the, uh, an avenue back into the NFL. Can you see him? Can you see him accepting that? Can you see him coming back to play? I Apparently, think, reports I, suggest he wants to play still. I, I would think so, and I would think. You know, I, I, I honestly believe he wants to play. I think mm. he has wanted to play. Um, I also think that in terms of impact, he would realize that coming back right now would, would have the biggest impact of anything that he could do. Um, right. you know, and it would be a, it would be a positive impact. Um, you know, a victory of sorts, um, for the whole idea. Remember too, the NFL is an, an intrinsically conservative organization. Um, its owners are millionaires who, you know, who tend to, consider themselves self-made men. Mm. Uh, players tend to consider themselves self-made, um, you know, to an extent, because obviously they're in an elite of, of people in the workforce and around the world. Um, and they work very, very hard to get where they are. So, you know, um, they, they do tend to be relatively conservative. Socially, the NFL is um, uh, heavily dependent on the government for exemption to antitrust legislation. And the military is a big, advertiser for the NFL, a crucial advertiser for the NFL. Mm. So there is that, you know, there is that kind of um, reluctance to do dangerous things. I, I think that's what you, you were suggesting, you know, you know, distraction of, of that. And so therefore I think, you know, that's why I would, I did not, you know, speak out against the NFL statements because you have to realize where they're coming from. And so each step is a good one. Um, cause it's going against the, the built in inertia of the league not to, um, take contrary stances, um, to, to the way society goes. So, you know, I welcome, I welcome Roger Goodell's second statement and, you know, I'm looking forward to see, seeing what they, what they do in the future. Do you think there's pressure? I mean, that from a commercial perspective, you've outlined, you know, the, uh, a number of them there, uh, uh, both in terms of broadcast and just general popularity and therefore the, the value that has and, and commercial deals. But, but even from, I guess the other point I was getting at was with, with coaches and just the way that teams work, uh, uh, a reticence to take on uh, a player who they feel, as I say, might distract, might take away from their task in hand as well. And a coach's job is to win, right? And, yeah, yes, indeed. And, and, you know, coaches, <laughs> coaches are the most conservative of all because right. to coach, you want everything to be under your control. 
Right. Um, and I'm not saying this conservative in a political sense. I'm just saying conservative because, mm-hmm. you know, you want everything focused on what's going to help your team win and everything that distracts from that, anything that changes the routine is, is potentially disastrous for you, or at least mm-hmm. that, that, that's how you think. Um, but coaches are willing to take gambles on all sorts of players uh, who might generate con- controversy, you know, players with, with bad behavioral records, with character issues going back to college, with drug problems, with, you know, all kinds, all kinds of things. And, and if you're talented, they'll all, you, you will always, someone will be willing to take a chance on you. Mm. And, you know, to a large extent, I think it's a good thing because people can't have their past held against them forever. You know, if you can, if you can reform, um, then, then you should be able to have an, have, have a chance. Mm. Um, when it's something where a person is standing for his conscience, it's really hard to argue that that's a, that's a character fault. Right. Um, you know, but again, you're supposed to think, you know, Vince Lombardi, what was it? It was God family football. Um, you know, God, I think it was God family football might've been mm. God country, you know, but, but football was right, was right up there and, sure. and, you know, and, and, and consciences. And I, I remember Dave Megacy back in the late sixties being blackballed from the league for, you know, for not standing at attention to the national anthem or holding his, his helmet in his, in his hand, mm. um, which was considered a major protest uh, mm. against the, the, the Vietnam war at the time. And Mike, you, you end your piece. Uh, the Arc Digital piece by quoting Richard Sherman, and it's um, it's fascinating to, to see. I thought it was a brilliant way of ending the piece, and I'm not going to give the whole quote, but uh, part of it he says these are things that a lot of us have to deal with our whole lives, and I think right now it's a perfect time to deal with it. And as your um, as your article concludes, and, and and as the exclamation point, exclamation mark on it, he said that in 2015. So, do you think? based on the momentum and the expansive level of protest that we're seeing now, that things will change. Yes. Um, I, I, well, I certainly hope so, but I've been hoping since 1964. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yes, I, I think so, because I think what we're seeing right now is, is a real wave of activism coming from ordinary people um, of all races in America, but especially from what the politicians like to call the silent majority. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's a function, I think, of our internet age. People are, are seeing so much for their own eyes that they're starting to realize or it's being, it's being really driven home to them the reality of, that other people have been talking about for a long time and they haven't understood. Uh, and like I say, understanding is the key to this whole thing. You have to listen. You have to be willing to to understand. Um, now, the, the kicker in that or the caveat in that is that if the season starts, as we all hope it will, uh, on schedule or more mm-hmm. or less on schedule, it's going to be right in the final stretch of the presidential election. Mm-hmm. And I have no doubt at all that law and order, silent majority, uh, you know, violent rioters, Antifa um, are all going to be major, major talking points of Donald Trump's election campaign. Mm-hmm. My hope is simply that what I see seems to be people uniting behind what what I think is a highly, a highly moral cause, um, and and people seeing it really clearly for what it is. Um, so that's you know it's a positive. I think I take away a, a huge positive from that. Um, and every time I read a tweet like F.A.'s or Malcolm Jenkins or Richard Sherman's, you know, I I just feel um, these people are reaching hundreds of thousands of people mm. and the message is getting through. And, yeah. you know, sport is not supposed to be political. Well, that's a joke because sport always is it's political in, in any number, you know, any number of ways. Uh, we march at the Olympic into the Olympics behind a national flag. Um, right. And, you know, and looking, seeing at it being used for such a good, uh, such a good purpose um, really does make my heart sing. Mike, it could always count on you for, for balance, perspective and insight. And, and the piece, as I say, is terrific. Seek it out. We'll, we'll push it out on, on our channels as well. So you can find it uh, easily. Good to catch up, man. Thanks for yeah, thanks, thanks for dropping by. Oh, anytime. 
All right, our next guest starred at LSU, played in the NFL for a whole number of years, a whole number of teams, including the Super Bowl winning New Orleans Saints. These days, he's a broadcaster at the top of his game. I had the pleasure of working with him at the Super Bowl in Miami this February. Welcome to the show, Marlon Favorite. Oh, thanks for having me on that, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be on with you again. Hello, somebody. Hey, hello, somebody. Hey, hey, Marlon, Mike Carlson, big fan of yours. He's recorded a Marlon minute that we're gonna, we're gonna drop in a future episode. It's basically definitive, the definitive Marlon favorite career analysis. I mean, what Mike seems to know everything about how you played, including your time in, in arena football, uh, for, for the New Orleans Voodoo. Yeah, man, Mike, 100, brother. I, I, I really appreciate that. That's very impressive uh, to know that information because uh, most of the interviews that I do, it's mainly talking about NFL football, the LSU days, SEC, especially working with the LSU Sports Network right now in that run we had with Joe Burrow. But right. for my man Mike's to say, man, my boy Marlon played in arena football. <laughs> he, he, he traveled across, across the NFL. It's very impressive, and I, and I thank you for that. So, Marlon, you're in New Orleans right now, of course. So first things first, how are things over there? Because I was reading online a little bit earlier on that things are opening up again. For example, the bars, I, I read, are, are opening up on Saturday. So that's got to be a good thing, right? That's going to be a good thing. I'm pretty sure a lot of the folks here down in New Orleans can use drinks. <laughs> uh, so we are slowly but surely opening up. Uh, I do love the patience of uh, Orleans Parish Mayor uh, Latoya Cantrell because she's not looking at a date. She's more looking at the data. So I, I do appreciate that. Right. Um, Jefferson Parish, where, where I currently live, we are – a little bit ahead of Orleans Parish in regards to opening up, but we are taking our time because, of course, we had this conversation before Mardi Gras was here. Mm. So we had a, a lot of people in one spot. So that's why our numbers really spiked up. Yeah. Uh, so I just thank God. I mean, we did lose some folks, family and friends along the way. Mm. A lot of remembrance of like Hurricane Katrina, mm. um, this event reminds me of, but uh, for the most part, um, everybody's doing fine. Uh, we're doing good. Everything's getting better. My son, he went to uh, football practice this morning. Did oh, practice social distancing. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I've got the same thing actually with mine on Saturday. Exactly, exactly that planning, <laughs> planning a session which includes social distancing is not easy. Well, that's good to hear. Listen, it's great to have you on. Um, you were on on my radio show last Sunday, right? And you said something that's really stayed with me over the last few days. You said this is the first time in in your career that you've felt entirely comfortable to talk about certain issues and and this is and again to put it in context you're a, you know a college star you're in the league for a number of years you've been a broadcaster for a number of years yet it's only now with the the energy of the movement right now that you feel you can you can voice on certain issues which 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 I found was extraordinary yes that that's true uh, what happened um it, particularly most african american athletes we are basically told or hinted to if you open your mouth or speak your mind in a way that doesn't fit the way we want you to, we'll blackball you. We'll, we'll literally, you won't get another job in the NFL. Mm-hmm. I don't even care what the angle is. So we've always kept a lot of the racial injustice, uh, the prejudice, the discrimination, uh, definition of character. We've always kept that stuff at bay. We never complain about it. So give you an example, right? For the lockout, 2011 lockout, mm-hmm. we were all, no one knew when we were going to go back. We just knew that deals were being negotiated. We know that we did want to get back. So it was important for us to continue to work out. But at that time, my wife was pregnant with Marlon Jr. So I didn't feel comfortable just leaving at bay. Well, when we got the agreement done, I'll never forget. I was with the New England Patriots at the time. When we got the agreement done, while the news was passing across the screen, I was getting a call from the staff saying, hey, your flight's booked. You guys got to be here tomorrow morning. I'm like, whoa, wait, let's pump the brakes. Okay, we got the deal done. Let's restructure. Let's give this maybe a week. No, you right now, back to work. That type of mentality is what I'm mm-hmm. saying. It's almost like get to business or else. Is that – I mean, that is something I guess that the – because it's so competitive in the league as well. And it's something we were talking with, with Mike Carlson about earlier on in the show. There has been for, for so many years, you know, potentially it's always been this way that the, 
league and, and team specifically, and, and often it's the league that's criticised, isn't it? And team owners and Commissioner Goodell that are criticised. But actually, when you kind of break it down, and I'm interested in your perspective as a player, front office personnel, coaching staff as well, they don't like distraction. They don't like things that are, are, are break away from the norm. Everything is about winning and concentrating on doing your job and winning and not interested about anything else. And it's always been that way. Do you think that's something that, that is going to change now, given the, just the weight of the volume of players that have spoken out, the caliber of players that have spoken out, that superstars in the league that maybe would have been quiet before because they're maintaining the status quo are now all speaking out as well? That, the, correct, 100%. That, it, it, that movement, that shift is happening right now. Uh, you just said it earlier. You mentioned the owners wanted to be business as usual, and let's just get back to work and play. The players want it to be that way too, but mm-hmm. it has to be some type of uh, moral compass in this whole deal. It has to be some type of uh, sense of hope, sense of pride for the folks that's out there working. So mm-hmm. some of the beautiful thing, I had an opportunity to work in multiple industries since I've been a professional athlete, retired from being a professional athlete, and I've been in some environments that kind of followed that same structure structure, but I've also been in some environments that didn't follow that structure and treated their workers with respect and did stuff to make their workers feel happy. And and, and it isn't like that. It's my way or the highway. Like in my 10, four years bouncing around the NFL, 10 different teams, um, it's probably about maybe two of those teams. I felt like the way I got released was extremely hardcore. Business is business. So if a coach just tells you flat out, hey, man, I, I uh, we felt like going a different direction. We felt like this guy here was better. That's totally fine. I can accept that. But if it has something to do with who I am as a person, my personality, quote, unquote, big personality, uh, I've been labeled a showboat um, by, by or, or organization. That has to stop because the issue with that is, you're putting out false accusations about me or forming an opinion. And then like any other job, you have to get a reference, mm-hmm. right? So sure. when they ask if someone is interested in me on a wire and they ask, you know, how's this guy? And you don't mention anything about my performance on the field, but you talk mm-hmm. about it and you say that I'm a showboat. That's a problem. That type of structure in the NFL has to change because what if that team would have said, uh, well, we're not going to roll with, uh, with him because he's a showboat and try to also continue this blackball. So I never got blackballed. I, someone did attempt to blackball me before, but it didn't work because, you know, I have strong faith and I, ha- I know my work ethic. I know what I bring to the table. So that that one overall was said, but I, I'm just thankful that that was revealed to me. So now that I know that, that type of energy, that has to change. You're cutting a player for their performance, cool. But who, who a person is, their personality and – wanting them to get in line and, and get to what you want to do. Yeah, I understand you own it or you run the organization, but we run it because we're, we're, the, we're the product. So that, that type of stuff has to change on every level. And I guess there are, there are stories all across the league over, over years and years like that where, as you say, the, the, the scouting report, the, the personnel report factors in character as well and, and behavior. And so therefore, if you are uh, somebody who wants to be involved and keen as an activist uh, and, and have strong opinions about something, you're going to look at a situation like that and think, well, actually, no, I better not. I better, I better keep my mouth shut. So it becomes self-perpetuating. And that is maybe one of the things that is, that is changing now. In terms of hearing, uh, look, we're hearing a lot of things that are being said all around the league at the moment and, and most positive, some not so much. Someone like Vic Fangio, I'm interested in what you think about his comments. So Vic Fangio for, for those of you uh, who didn't see his comments, said there's no racism in the NFL. Certainly that's how the headlines reported it and, and received a lot of backlash for this. One of his quotes was, we all live together, joined as one for one common goal, and we all intermingle and mix tremendously. If society reflected an NFL team, we'd all be great. That's what mm. he said, one of the things he said. So is Vic, is Vic Fangio being misunderstood to to a degree was he being naive by saying that he didn't feel there was racism in the nfl i guess he would he would suggest that because you have locker rooms 
where black and white players are together and they, they stand together and they, they play together. Certainly they, they, in many cases, socialize together. That's the, that's the NFL he is projecting. Is that the NFL you've experienced? No, that that's definitely not the NFL I experienced. I literally, out of bouncing around to 10 different teams, I had a second stand at, I can tell you, uh, coaches like Coach Steve Spagnola, he's not with that mindset. Mm. Uh, he, he doesn't look at stuff like that. He, he's a guy that, in my opinion, in my experience I had with him, he judges a man by his character and his work ethic and not the color of his skin mm. or what type of an image you portray this person to have or get in line. He's not that type of coach. I can say that from my experience. Uh, Mike Shanahan. My, the time I spent with the Washington Redskins when he was there, we literally had a, a, a hurricane headed this way. I'm stressing out there working, trying to make my job, uh, do my job. And he, to ease my mind, calls me to his office and say, hey, Marlon, what I'll do, I'll have NFL security going on and take check on your family, see if they need anything. So you have a peace of mind at work. Guys like that set the example to me um, of, of how you, you treat a, a a player, you know, Coach John Caldwell. I can go down the list. I could go through all the head coaches yeah. uh, that I that I've had, but the ones that really stand out to me, the coaches that that really could make a difference. Now, in terms of that comment I, uh, that that Coach Vangio uh, uh, had, I do feel like it was a bit ignorant mm-hmm. um, because that's not true. If you were to really pay attention to what we experience as African Americans. And the quietest is kept Tongas too, you know, Islanders, you know, guys of other uh, ethnicities, the, the uh, minorities in, in America, where we experience the prejudice that we experience, you would make a comment like that. Mm-hmm. But he, I think he may absolutely, you know, he could possibly, and, and this where is a little optimism on where he's at, on your second comment when he did release a statement, he might have said, because I, I agree with what he said. It's very similar to the military in that regard, in terms of brothership. Mm. You have to trust the guy right next to you in that locker room. It doesn't matter w- what color he is, what's his background. You have to, you have to trust that brother with your life. Now, um, the brothers that uh, – the, the men and women that, that sacrifice their time for our freedom here in America, um, we, we, we salute them and we thank them for what they do as players, but we also admire them and what they do because they're out there risking their lives. So we do understand that as players, but the part that really sticks out is in the, we kind of follow those same principles in the locker room, except now it's more about your financial stability. It's more about you being able to excel and have a career in this, and it's more about protecting you from injuries what could have long-term life results. Like, literally, Drew Brees has to trust his quarter, uh, his, his, his lineman. So it is a trust. I do think if the if society looks at the locker room and the, the way that we treat each other in there, remember the Titans, perfect example, really good movie. Yeah, Those guys took what they learned in the locker room um, and was able to allow themselves to be retaught, were able to, to stand up and, and say, you know what, I love this guy next to me because we're out here blood, sweat, and tears. That does exist in the locker room. So I love the fact that, NFL players are now stepping up to these injustices and saying, hey, we're not having this. And my prayer and my hope is that society does pick up on this. And that is a really significant point, isn't it? That when you look at the the type of player that is standing up now, we talked about the the superstar player and the significance that had to so the, the Black Lives Matter video that pretty much immediately preceded Commissioner Goodell's follow-up statement, right? You know, and yeah. the, just the sheer star factor on... Uh, on that collection with that collection of players obviously had some bearing on everything that followed it. It was uh, a hugely significant statement, but it's more than that. It, it's the the volume of players across the league. And it's the fact that, and, and a lot of players have come out and said this, you look at um, not just a, a, a veteran white player that's been around the block that has played for a long time and has seen firsthand issues but youngsters like Joe Burrow LSU LSU guy uh coming into the league as a as a you know a, a superstar in waiting but has yet to take, to take a snap in the NFL and, and other young players stepping up as well where again perhaps they wouldn't have done a few years ago 
they would have maybe been advised by an agent or by their people. Just uh, don't, don't get involved. Don't get involved with that. Stay away from that. It's yeah. bad for business. Now they, they, they don't care about that. They're, they're stepping up and being heard. And that, that's hugely important as well, isn't it? That's hugely important. Now that is not just because it's, it's too before then it's the black players in the NFL following, let's be honest, underground railroad type, Coding, black coding, don't say nothing. Keep your mouth shut. Mm. Go along with what masters say. That has been like the base of how African-Americans operate in the NFL for a very long time. Don't say nothing. Because if you say something, you can lose your job. So you look at it from that perspective. But now this new wave, if you guys go check my uh, Twitter out, at Big Fade 504 if you go check my Twitter, I look at my Joe Burrow tweet. It's a picture of me and Joe Burrow. We both look super cool. Hello, somebody. <laughs> well, but of course. I observed that young man, Coach Ed Ogeron, which I've been knowing Coach Ed Ogeron for well over tw- – well, right about 20 years now. Mm. And just everyone around LSU. LSU, in my opinion, who we've, abs- we've, we've experienced racial injustice on that campus before as well. And I remember having to speak up as a player. But that's another podcast episode. That, that is it. I want to. Yeah, that is something I want to get into. This is a whole thing I hadn't really considered. Yeah, the difference between. Uh, well, let's go there quickly. Let's go there if we can. You know, so as sure, a college player, you. and you know LSU, and uh, you know a, a big character, big player on campus. Is it different? Is, do you feel that in college, in the college system, you were able to speak out more, or was it the same problem? Yes, it was. It was. It, I was able to speak out more then. At that time, when, when we experienced. Okay, really quick story. So here's the difference in my opinion, and we're going to use – I'll use my home base for an example here in Louisiana, mm-hmm. right? Here's the difference. At LSU, um, we experienced some racial injustice. Even we saw it more when we traveled. So traveling through the SEC, which is the South, which was known to be, you know, the most racial parts in America during slavery, Jim Crow, civil rights movement, I mean – we can do a history lesson if y'all want to as well one day. <laughs> Watch out there now. And there's but, uh, <laughs> pod. We got like two spin-off pods we're rolling now. I love it. But what we experienced was, you know, you N-words, get out of here. Boo, boo, go back there from the fan base in Ole Miss, Mississippi State, you know, Florida, right? And then I remember talking to one of my players the other day. We've seen this, like, one time we when we travel, it's tenant buses. So I think at one time when my boy explained it to me, he said he and another teammate was in the back of the bus and they thought that they were Tennessee, the opposing team coming in in Baton Rouge. Mm -hmm. And it was a bunch of racial slurs. So here's what ended up happening at LSU that really brought the attention. Because we don't – before we didn't talk about these things, this is back in 2005 when Hurricane Katrina hit here in New Orleans. Mm. So – Here's what ended up happening here in New Orleans, I mean, at, at Baton Rouge. So after Katrina hit, um, it was a lot of stuff going on. And I do commend the resiliency of, of, of my city and how we bounce back from that, right? So that's why this corona, even this racial injustice, you're starting to see New Orleans really step up and say, look, we're going to be about change. Mm-hmm. So I remember this was my South, this was my redshirt freshman year. Um, cousin Jeff from BT came to our PMAC, our P. Maravick Center, to speak to the student body. It was about, uh, you know, maybe 60% of the student body union there that night. And he was speaking to us about Hurricane Katrina. Because, like, Baton Rouge was, like, the center of all that stuff. Between New right. Orleans and Houston, like, we, we, we had – I remember going volunteer after practice passionately because this is my hometown going, that, that's going through this to get out there. So I remember – um, and, I, and I'll try to make a very long story short. I remember that's the Cousin Jeff story. So after that was a lot of articles, like in the LSU Daily Reveille, um, a lot of African-American students speaking up for us. You know, they were trying to get interviews with the players. And I remember initially a lot of that stuff was being deflected. So here's what Cousin Jeff said. Y'all need to go talk to the black players on y'all team because there are Confederate flags that are being flown at these football games and they're out there playing. And that flag represents uh, slavery. It, 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 it represents what it was before um, the North won the Civil War here in America and things were supposed to change um, in, in America. It never really changed. It just evolved, right? Mm. 
this may have happened. And so it neither here nor there. So this particular game, I didn't travel. It was a home game. And when you don't travel for the home games, uh, you, you have, you stay at your, uh, at the apartment where the rest of the team goes a lot of cook, right? It's just some, um, that, that the way we did it at LSU for the guys that didn't travel. So, you had a certain time to get to the locker room before the game to get dressed with everyone. So you would have to leave your apartment. So i never forget this particular game. Our student body union, uh, black student body union, were, were protesting on campus right in front of the stadium right before we were coming down the hill. And they were saying, take down the sign, uh, the flag. Take down the flag, the Confederate flags. It represents hate. It represents – and i never forget I was walking by, and it was this, this white guy and his wife. I looked to the left, and he said, "If I looked to my right, he said, well, if y'all black ASSs don't like it, go to Southern, Southern University, which is a, a HBCU here in, uh, in Baton Rouge, mm-hmm. right? And I will never forget, he looked at me, and he thought he saw a ghost. Well, what he mm-hmm. saw was an LSU football player. Right. See, they never – that's concealed around us. They'll they, go Tigers to us, yeah. ask us the autograph stuff, and want to be yeah. all around us. But I had a chance to see your true colors when you didn't think you saw me. So yeah. he got scared. I don't know if, the, if he felt threatened like I was going to do something. I just shook my head and went in the locker room. And when that happened, my, I thought I, at that point, it's 2005, just like right now we're in two, 2020. Yeah. Why are we still dealing with racial yeah. injustice in America? Right. Why is it still like I felt the same way then? Yeah. So the fact that this is still going on, it made me think about that. And I remember going to Coach Miles and talking to him about these issues. He had just got there. So – you know, things wouldn't like that in Michigan where he comes from. Oklahoma sure. State is a little bit, but not. So he was just really um, kind of oblivious to everything that was going on. So we kind sure. of ran yeah. into him. And we, we talked about it, but I, I hadn't seen any flags since then. And I, I'm starting to see a shift in LSU now for guys like this LSU. This LSU football team right here that we just had and is, a, is an example of how America's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And it's about leadership. You have a coach in Ed Ogeron who really loves his players and he in his eyes from the Ed Ozeron that I know, he don't see color. He mm. see he see a person's heart. That man loves his players, right? And you have a quarterback like Joe Burrow who was raised right. His dad, James Burrow, did a really in my opinion, did a really good job raising him because mm. that's his brothers out there. Mm. So for me, when I heard that initially, that's why I did this tweet, when I heard the Drew Brees comment, when I mm. heard Joe Burrow say the black community needs us. And initially, Drew Brees saying, well, I feel like everybody should stand for the flag because my grandfather did this and my mm-hmm. grandparents did that. That's that's the issue. Yeah. So I just thought that here's a young man who is a Caucasian-American that's trying to do the right thing because he loves he, – he respects that it's, it's black receivers that's catching these long balls, 60 touchdown passes. Same thing with Drew Brees. Drew Brees, you're breaking records. You know, with Robert Meacham, with Marcus Colston, with Michael Thomas. Now the difference is Robert Meacham and them didn't say anything, in my mm. opinion. I'm just using this as a hypothetical. Sure. Michael Thomas spoke up, so. He did yeah, speak man. up. Many, many players did, many of his teammates, many players and beyond around the league spoke up critical of Drew Brees. And Drew Brees came back and, and, substantiated his position of support ultimately and, and tried to rationalize what he meant about the flag. I think the, the frustration with, with many players was the fact that the protests have never been about the, the flag specifically, right? About, about so much else, but not that. And, and, and that seemed to be when you look at Drew Brees, who is a, a veteran who has been hugely influential in, in your community in the, in the New Orleans community, to, to misunderstand that side of it, or at least to appear to misunderstand that side of it, I think drove a lot of frustration. And I guess the fact he's a leader, he's a, he's a veteran, he's an experienced guy to not realize the impact of his comments at this time as well, I guess was confusing to many. One more for you before we let you go. And, and, and look, this is the first, your first appearance on, on this show. I hope it's the first of many because uh, there's so many things I, I want to talk to you uh, about and we're looking forward to having you back. But but on this, you mentioned your experiences, well, through your career. And, and as you say, it's extraordinary to think that you were dealing with that kind of ignorance in you know 2005. Uh, th- and yet here we are now and it's still an issue. Four years ago, um, Cap took a knee, near enough four years ago anyway. And we're here now. 
and it does look like things might might be changing that we've hit a tipping point with that optimistic perspective where do you hope we'll be in another four years what do you hope will be the main differences particularly with the nfl and some of the experiences you've talked about and and how the league can be an agent for for change and for good and for a positive mindset and positive approach what would you like to see happening next over the coming years um, I, I would like to see uh, a change. I would like to see the sports world be the leader of changing the uh, the injustice to uh, brown, black, and indigenous people here in America, and obviously what we're seeing across the world. We want to see that that real change. We we want to see that locker room type uh, attitude, that the love that we have for each other change. I want to see things change internally in the NFL because it's a lot of again. Look at it. It's um, it's thirty two. Um, white owners. Well, you have you have a minority owner on two different teams, right? But majority is Caucasian Americans, and a lot of that principle is still there. Mm-hmm. Um, the way they handle us, the way we're talked to, the way we and like again, personally, I've I've been humiliated before by an organization, humiliated, belittled, and that hurt is still there. And you know, as you say, the the fact that you are able to to share this. Now, when for years you, you'd be carrying around, you haven't felt able to do it, is, is testament to the progress that is being made. It's testament to that. And as you say, you mentioned those players that are blazing the trail and those characters that are blazing the trail. And you're among them. You are among them, sharing your stories, sharing your perspective. You know, we appreciate it for sure. And, uh, and we appreciate your first appearance on this show. And it will be the first of many, I can guarantee can guarantee that it's really good to catch up with you man and i can see as i'm looking at you now the sun is shining behind you so it might be very gloomy in london but the sun's shining over there um look after yourself marla thanks for taking time to talk to us today and we'll check in with you very soon man you too now y'all have a good one brother hello brilliant stuff from marlon equally so from iron mike really really thoughtful perspective i hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. We'll be back uh, with more. We're dropping a pod in a few days' time. Special guest coming, so keep your eyes and ears peeled. Make sure, if you haven't already, uh, you've subscribed to us on your podcatcher of choice uh, at the NC Show on all our social channels. We'll push our Mike's column out there uh, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Lots of content going out all week long. A lot of you getting involved with the conversation there. So if you haven't already, give us a follow there. Appreciate Marlon and Mike. Appreciate you guys for checking in. We will check back with you very, very soon. Look after yourself. Sports Social Podcast Network.